somehow Corona makes the time go by faster the longer you're in it. Nevertheless, June's gone, July's here, and you are here with us, and we thank you for doing so. I'm Unkwa Sonia, he's Brian Albin. Welcome to Award Tour, the podcast. Countless ways for you to keep up with what we're doing. You can subscribe, give us reviews. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever it is you get them. You can leave us voice messages in the Anchor app as well. We're reaching new levels. We're on Instagram now. And you can follow that account. Award Tour Podcast is what you are looking for. Uh, We've got a fully packed episode today. Um, And without further ado... I would usually be better with the introduction. Uh, I do have an update on the couch story, but I'm going to make you wait one more week for that. But um, the Northeast is going to be a big part of today's episode. And why don't we start, Brian, with one of its more prominent cities? And shockingly, I am not talking about New York. There are a couple media companies that in the past few weeks have found themselves in a bit of hot water. And it just so happens that both of them are led by men who are from Boston. We'll we'll keep the Boston jokes to a side for the most part. We will also try to avoid generalizing the city of Boston as a whole. It just so happens to be a neat little coincidence at best. Uh, But The two companies that, of course, I'm referencing here, Barstool Sports, of course, founded by Dave Portnoy, and The Ringer, founded by Bill Simmons. The Ringer, let's start with them. They're in hot water because on July 1st, not till today's July 1st, on June 1st, in the heat of the protests in Minneapolis that were then extending throughout the nation after the death of George Floyd, Bill Simmons hosted a podcast on the Bill Simmons show to talk about what was going on in America. And the person that he chose to host it with was Ryan Rossillo, another white guy from Boston. Um, And that podcast drew a lot of flack because how could you possibly talk about what's going on in America in a just like moment of racial reckoning and then just have it be two white guys and in the midst of the podcast ryan rosillo praised bill simmons for his diversity hiring which then led to the ringer union as well as several ringer employees being outspoken in saying that yo we're not that diverse here (laughs) it led to bill simmons sort of he first apologized for the episode. He then immediately, two days later, did one with DeRay McKesson, in which they went into much more detail on racial injustice in America. But still, he couldn't quite get himself out of the controversy because then last week in a New York Times profile on the lack of diversity at the Ringer, on the issue of uh, while he was apologizing for the lack of diversity in the company and saying that it was something they were actively going to work on, on the topic of podcasts is the ringer podcast network has grown mostly going to senior level people who more often than not are white within the company. He had the one liner. This is a business. This isn't open mic night. 
that drew a lot of negative feedback again. He then again had to release a podcast in which he sort of walked back his comments and apologized. Once again, reiterated the company is working heavily on doing a better job of diversity hiring, but also acknowledging that the results so far are inadequate, and he recognizes that. Then you have Barstool. And this past week, uh, videos resurfaced on Twitter of in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick started kneeling. Uh, Dave Portnoy using various racist language to describe Colin Kaepernick in which he one sort of questioned Colin Kaepernick's blackness, didn't even really think he was black, thought he was Muslim uh, because of the way he, you know, had his hair and his beard and I guess his skin color uh, said that he saw him kneeling for the flag and because he thought he was Muslim figured he must be terrorist or something. Is he like an ISIS guy? It was a whole bunch of just ridiculous stuff. And Jamel Hill pointed it out. Dave Portnoy is not apologizing though. He's fighting back. He's saying cancel culture cannot defeat him. He won't be canceled. Uh, and that's where we stand really with it right now. And it's just, there's sort of two different stories and yet they sort of have similarities. And I'm just curious what you think about them. So it's really not much of a secret, unfortunately, that Boston's considered one of the most racist cities in America. And I'm going to leave that statement right where it is because when it comes to this particular conversation, we're talking about two different entities, two different sets of people. I used to really like Bill Simmons. I read the book of basketball. I honestly think it's one of my favorite reads of all time, but I also read it as a pretty naive 22, 23-year-old. So there were a lot of references in there that probably went right over my head or I just glossed over. I'm not going to claim to be the arbiter of all things equitable. With that being said, uh, his statements, especially looking at like how he's carried himself in the last three or four years, they don't really surprise me. I don't think I'm at a point where I'm disappointed anymore when it comes to any white sports media talking head, frankly, because it seems like if they actually say something of substantive value, you go, okay, cool. Because that's what the culture wants that. Sports media culture in general wants the white guy talking out of his ass. That's just what they want. For him to say it's not open mic night when it comes to providing platforms and chasing diversity hires to make his place not overwhelmingly white and likely male. Like, are you kidding me? I don't know how incredulous I can be at this point, but I can't help but wonder, you know, we enabled this. And by we, I mean the general sports media public because it took this to call him out. He'd been getting 
critiqued by many people for years, but because he pioneered Grantland and he was on ESPN, people didn't really challenge it as much. It just came across as, oh, I don't really like Bill Simmons. But we are learning now that there's something deeper in here, and whether I like it or not, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. Uh, Barstool's not worth my time. They've showed us who they are for a very long time right now, so whatever when it comes to them, when it comes to him, everything. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Barstool is that nobody should be surprised because literally their entire brand is just like, especially Dave Portnoy's brand, but essentially their entire brand is anti-PC culture slash toxic masculinity dressed up in a little bit of overt racism at the same time, right? Like it's, there's nothing really surprising there. I don't know with Barstool, the part that is frustrating is it's sort of symbolic. Like you were sort of saying, like white men in sports media, the expectation for them has been to talk out of their ass. I just think, particularly with white men, but with men in general, there's just this leniency towards being an asshole that like would not be given to a woman for the most part. Um, And that like for some reason is gravitated towards that makes no sense. The, the Bill Simmons stuff I actually find to be interesting because like, I feel like the clear juxtaposition between the two of them is like Portnoy's just an overt asshole to make money, right? And like Barstool is a brand that is about just being so overtly out there to make money and to cater to a certain type of people. Bill Simmons may have good intentions for all we know, but he is sort of demonstrating for us in real time what implicit bias can do, Mm. not just in hiring, but also in like self-reflection. Because if you listened to the content of the podcast on June 1st that sort of started the controversy, I didn't think Bill was saying anything out of line or insensitive really to anyone. I thought that Ryan Rossillo had a few passing marks that were insensitive. Um, But it's just like the fact that overall you would do that podcast and the person you decided to call was Ryan Rossillo is just the ultimate sign of implicit bias. Um, In the open mic night comment, he later provided context by essentially giving his full emailed response to the question that was being asked in which what he was sort of expanding upon was we were a young company at the time. We were trying to get our feet off the ground. I wanted senior level people doing the podcasts. This is a business. This is an open mic night. But like, here's the thing. Okay. You had some success early on. Like your daughter now has a podcast on the ringer network. Uh, most of the podcasts are being dominated by a small select group of people. And there are oftentimes, essentially, it feels like on the podcast at The Ringer, the few 
black or people of color within the network more show up on podcasts as features mm. than getting their own. And so sort of that's where it's like the implicit bias I think is showing up. I, I feel like they almost stand for a great example of like, who is the type of person right now that may have been in the wrong and may have been in the wrong for a long time, but can be changed versus the person who's not changing for anybody. And like society, unfortunately, is going to have to move on without that person. And we just need to do our best to steer as many people away from that person as possible. Like to me, that's the Simmons Portnoy dichotomy almost that I'm seeing in this situation is like one might actually be worth our time trying to teach because he could be a valuable voice. One's just not worth any of our time. I mean, I'm so intrigued by the idea though, that like there's an important voice, you know, because on the one hand, do you want to call people irredeemable? Not necessarily. On the other hand, I don't know what would make Bill Simmons more redeemable than Boomer Esiason or pretty much any other white male sports talking head. You know, like you could walk down to WFAN right now, look at their whole lineup and say, hmm, I wonder who'd be more likely to speak well and have just an idea of what's going on about this. And I am learning myself, and I'm not cutting anybody slack, but I'm learning that people really... Like once you, once you present them with what's actually happened in America, they've been living in a totally different world. And I'm sort of seeing that firsthand and it throws me for a loop because on the one hand, I want to hold them responsible. Like you're kind of supposed to know this, but on the other hand, I'm also like, but you're just learning about this. I, like it's, it's all very confusing for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go into great detail, but like when I was home for the past couple of weeks, I had conversations with certain family members who like were sort of talking about racism that's existed in this country in a way where like in their voice, you could almost hear a tone of surprise in what they were learning about now. And like, to me, it was like, well, you've been on this earth a lot longer than I have. Like, how do you not know this? How is this like something that's striking you as new or mm. like that you're learning something, you know, like this feels like something you ought to know. So I don't, I'm trying to learn where other people are coming from too, is to what, like, what have they been, what have they been willfully ignorant of versus what was passed to them? And they simply didn't you know fact check like it's sort of one of those tough tough things but on your on your comment of just like bill simmons versus boomer and like what's the difference like to me the difference is that bill simmons is actually a platform giver mm. like he has the ability to give a platform to a lot of important black latino asian queer female voices like, like all of these groups that are less than properly represented potentially at his network he has 
the ability to incorporate them. And I think there's a willingness there to do it, especially if he feels like they can deliver content that's going to make his company money. Like that, that's the golden goose that drives everything at the end of the day. So I guess I see him as redeemable just from the sense of like, I don't really think I've gotten a sense of closed mindedness. The only thing I get a sense of is ego getting in the way of fully admitting mistakes of the past. Like he's going three quarters of the way to admitting it, but then feeling the need to justify some decision he personally made because it seems like ego gets involved. So that's why I feel like there's some ability to redeem and an ability for him to be an important change maker because he has the ability to give platform. So if he can come around, recognize his faults, and actually act on them like that that's big time that helps the general movement that everybody's looking for and there is a conversation between capitalism and this new quote-unquote awakening that everyone else is having i don't know if we've got time to actually flesh that out because that's really a fascinating conversation and i'd almost want to get people smarter than me to weigh in and give context but another reason why we're bringing Boston into this is because it is now going to be the biggest city that will be rooting for one Cameron Newton as he has been signed for way below market value, but he has been signed to the New England Patriots. Um, I have said this to friends on other platforms. I will say this publicly. I will now be rooting for the Patriots solely for that reason. I don't know if wow. I'll be. I, I don't know if I don't know if I'll be. Can't like, you just root for Cam Newton? I mean, I can. But here's the thing: if I root for Cam Newton, and he has a bad season and still gets a bunch of yards, what's the storyline going to be around him? He's a selfish player. He only does it for the stats. It, it's what plagued him his whole time at Carolina that he's only about himself. Meanwhile, he had no receiving help, a solid offensive line single-handedly powered his team's offense week in, week out with the most explosive but physical play that's ever been seen by a quarterback. Listen to me. Yeah, and I mean, yet he is going to be shouldered with life. all the baggage. Boston is a great city. If he throws city. for 30 touchdowns, some of my best friends are from Boston. Throws only 10 picks. Rushes for do not like their sports yards. teams. You know what I mean? But I will be rooting for this one. Reason being... I can't root for Cam Newton to do well by itself. Because if I root for Cam Newton to do well by himself and the Patriots have a bad year, it's that Cam Newton is all about stats. He's not a good quarterback. So it, it kills me to say this. But at least for this season or as long as Cam Newton is taking the snaps in New England, I'm happy to root for them. So you, you you might be giving the Patriots too much credit off the bat because I'm not so sure that he's going to be taking all the starting quarterback snaps. Well, here's the thing. I, I have no illusions about the Patriots being like some pioneer. I mean, I, I love Beaumont Jones so much. What he says is this is an open box special and he's right. What, what Bill Belichick likes to do is to take veterans, talented veterans, that may not be at market value or may have something that scares other teams away. But because they've got dynamic 
athletic ability and can be a real game changer. He goes, okay, I'll take a chance on him. So since I've won six rings, I'm not going to pay you 10. I'll pay you five and you'll win. And you'll want to come because you'll win. And people will say yes. And I recognize that. I do not, I do not see, at least in July, I do not see an instance, if there's even a season in the first place, where he doesn't win the starting quarterback position. I, I just don't see it. I think it's probable he starts the year as the starter. But I wouldn't be surprised if the second things went wrong. It's Jared Stidham time. I also wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing Cam Newton more than anything as a goal line back than anything else. Because you think he'd gadget Cam Newton? I think that Cam Newton's been one of the best red zone runners in the league for the past seven years or whatever. So I do not put it past Bill Belichick to bring somebody in who has a skill set that he doesn't think his team has and that can make his team better. Um, all, all I'm saying is I don't have a ton of faith in this experiment. Um, I, I'm not willing to give the Patriots the benefit of the doubt, and I'm certainly not willing to give it the benefit of the doubt that Cam Newton's going to like it in Boston too much because we already have sports radio segments from Boston coming out in which we got hosts, white hosts, in case you weren't sure of that, who aren't so sure they love the Cam Newton fit because they don't want to see him supermanning. They don't want to see him dapping as uh, the guy calls it. Cause he doesn't know the difference between dap and a dab. Oh um, I'm not, I, I'm interested to see how this one plays out, but do I have the utmost faith in it going? Well, I know. I mean, I'll, no, I don't. I, I'll say this. I think Cam... And no, I won't root for the Patriots. Good. Well, you don't have to. And if any of what you said comes through and they gadget Cam Newton, I that means my hate gets to be fueled twice as much. So I'm and, just saying don't rule that out of the realm of possibility. And I, and I see that. But I also feel like Cam Newton is aware enough to know that there is no way... Hey, Cam Newton and I do not exchange phone numbers. I don't know him like that. But I would have a very, very hard time believing that he would sign with New England of all teams to be a gadget player. It's one thing to be a backup quarterback, but to be a, to be a, a gadget player as a quarterback, no less. Bill probably told him I'm going to do what I think is best for the team. And I'll give you every opportunity to win the starting job. And I'll set my expectations for you to come in and work your hardest and perform. That might involve, Bill Belichick at some point deciding that Jared Stidham is the starting quarterback, but that I want Cam Newton to run it from second and goal at the four. I absolutely believe that whether he thinks that's what he's signing into or not, that that is very much a possibility for Cam Newton because the Patriots have shown us what they true, how they view players. That's true. Jonas Gray runs for four touchdowns on Sunday night football and has an alarm clock that doesn't go off and shows up late to a practice and he doesn't really ever get the ball again. Hmm. They cut out the Richard Seymour's of the world when they didn't think they had use for them. Look at what they just did to Tom Brady. They weren't willing to pay Tom Brady forever. Like, I think it is naive if we think that Cam Newton is going into a situation where he's guaranteed the starting job for 
16 games. What I do, th- I think it's likely he's the starting quarterback out of camp, but I don't know, I, I, I don't have enough faith that that's what's going to happen. And I'm not, I'm not willing to get excited about this news until I see good things happening for Cam. Because I believe Cam deserves a starting job. I want to see Cam Newton play. He's one of the more exciting players in the league. Um, but I just don't trust the Patriots like that. I think that's fair. But it will be so interesting to me if Cam gets this job out of camp to see what the tenor is like. I mean, look, you've already talked about the show hosts saying everything that they said. But this is the first time since Jacoby Brissett, and that was only for a handful of starts, that the Patriots have... I think it was one game. It was only one game, you're right. That the Patriots have ever had a black starting quarterback. Like, ever. And the one of the funniest things I have ever, ever seen on Twitter, which ties into episode two um this is from looks like double underscore c-o-l-b double underscore i probably got it wrong but i make i want to i want to get my citations right but the tweet reads the racial slurs cam newton will have to endure after he throws his first interception in new england have only been seen in a doja cat chat room like i I yikes I oh no! I immediately. I should really retweeted that. I might retweet it now because I bookmarked it because that was like that. That's one thing that worries me because, again, I I don't really intend to throw a city that I'm already ambivalent with their sports teams about under the bus. But I will say that Boston's relationship with it's black and brown superstars is very interesting because I was in Boston the year before they won the world series. This was 2017. And I was in an Uber, my Uber driver, super nice, by the way, it was around the time the Red Sox were playing the Astros in the playoffs. I think it was a three game sweep by Houston in, uh, in game. no, it was not a three game sweep. I think it was four games, whatever it was, Houston ended up winning the series. But by that time, Boston was down in the series and I'm talking with the cab driver. I'm like, man, they're having a tough time right now. Didn't mention I was from New York or anything. And he was like, yeah, you know, this, this, this core, man, we, we may just have to blow up the team and get rid of them. And in my head, I'm like, wait, not even in my head. I said, I'm like, wait, Mookie Betts and Bradley? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I, they, just, they just don't really have it. And I'm just kind of like, Mookie Betts is your best player. I mean, y'all are crying now that he's with the Dodgers. So it's always been a weird relationship. I, I wish I paid more. I, was, I wish I was of age when it was Manny and David Ortiz because the Manny Ramirez fallout for Boston was a hard one. I don't know if people remember that back in 2008 when he went Hollywood and traded to the Dodgers. But it was not pretty at all. So I am interested to see, especially for... Boston, which is frankly more a Patriots town than anything. I don't care about the history of the Celtics. That's cool. The Boston uh, Bruins, perennial contenders. That's cool. We all know about the Red Sox, but it's all about the Patriots in Boston. So how they react to Cam Newton possibly being the real starting quarterback, 
Aramis, you see. It's time now for everybody's favorite weekly installment of Tell Me Something I Don't Know here on the Award Tour podcast. And this week, well, it's a different little topic for us. We've introduced ourselves before, so if you're familiar with the show, and we're just repeating it to you, but in case you're tuning in for the first time, Unquo and I, we met each other at George Washington University through WRGW, the student radio station, working for WRGW Sports. We have both been dedicating our careers to being inside of sports media, and so as part of that, we've had some pretty cool opportunities along the way, which got us thinking. What was the first moment in our either collegiate careers or professional careers as members of the sports media that we found ourselves starstruck by a certain person? So, Unqua, let's start with you. Tell me something I don't know. Who was the first person in your career who you were starstruck by? Oh, man, the worst part is I have two answers because it's kind of a tie. Well, then give us both. Okay. First was... um. It was Atlantic 10 Media Day back in 2000 and I want to say 2012 because that was, no, it was 2011 because that was one of the first years that the A-10 tournament was in Brooklyn. Um, Media Day was at the Marquee right near the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, It was an interesting trip. Managed to produce a whole sort of package there and everything. Uh, interviewed Andy Katz that day. It was really cool. But it was myself and Tim Reardon. I swear I asked you to go, like, if you wanted to go, but I think you had a class or something. It's been a long time. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing for you. I don't know what happened. So, anyway, it was me and Tim Reardon, who's over at uh, SiriusXM Fantasy Sports now. Hi, Tim. Um, and I look to my right, and two Holloway sitting at the table. I'm like, wait what? This is cool, but like, what are you doing here? Mind you, at the time, too, Holloway was like a real draft possibility. Xavier's best player at the time, him and Mark Lyons in that backcourt just used to give teams across the country fits. Uh, GW, definitely plenty of them as well. But so I'm sitting at the table and I'm just like kind of chatting with him a little bit, you know, sort of embracing the fact like, yay, I'm like one of like three black media members here with a credential on. So I, I embrace the fact that I could get to talk a little bit with him. So that that was a cool moment for me because I'm like, man, I see you on TV and you're here. This is cool. But, bro, you're here. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't get it. I think it was an all-conference first-teamer that year for the preseason, so it made all the sense in the world. But I, it, but that was a cool moment for me. The second one was the summer after that, actually. I think it was, it was the summer of 2012, and GW was hosting the, Olymp- the Olympic team you know, practicing on campus. I applied once for credential. To this day, I, I think some a lot of someone in athletic communications smiled on me and somehow got me in the door because it was like, oh, congratulations, you got your credential. I'm like, oh, wait, what? Okay, cool, 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 cool. So I walk in and I see Andre Iguodala, I see LeBron, I saw Kevin Love the night before. Actually, yeah, it was the night before. Um, he was at. 
bayou. Remember that bar that used to be there? Yeah. So someone from the radio station, she like was really nice. Took me was like, hey, you know, he looks like a basketball player. I'm like, like, wait, that's Kevin Love. So I'll never forget it. I interrupted son's dinner. I, 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 as a rookie, I had no clue. I feel kind of bad right now because he's out on a date. He's eating, and he was hearing me. I want to say, "Hey, I'd love to talk to you. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I'd like, I'd like to try and get talking." And the look on his face was just like, "Tonight, really?" And he was polite about it. He said, "Oh, well, you can meet us at the Verizon Center in the morning." <laughs> when I tell you myself, and 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 who was it? But we went over to the Verizon Center at the time and, like, couldn't get in. I was like, eh, it sucks, but whatever. I saw him at the practice. I was like, oh, I'm sorry I missed you the other day. He's like, eh, it's okay. And he gave me a few cool comments, and that was very, very nice of him. But the idea of being in that gym in particular, it's like the late Kobe Bryant was there. Rest in peace. I interviewed James Harden that day. I think Andre Iguodala. Like, it was a heck of a day. I kept my composure, but the whole time I'm like, I, I, am I supposed to be here? Is this, is this really happening right now? Oh. Funny enough, I never bragged about it until now where I have a podcast and I can tell everybody. Yeah, my biggest regret of my GW career is that I wasn't in D.C. that summer to be in the gym when USA Basketball came to the Smith Center. What happened? And why did you just come down for it? I mean, I just wasn't thinking of it. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing, like, the tweets that were coming out from, like, I think you had some. I think Elizabeth Trainer had some from the GW Hatch. And I'm just, like, seeing tweets of, like, USA Basketball in the Smith Center. I'm just like, oh, my God, why am I not there right now? <laughs> Uh, so I'm definitely jealous of that one, but I'm not jealous of Kevin Love dining at Bayou. What was he doing dining at Bayou? Well, we should put the time in context. It was like 10. Okay, so it was a place that was open and probably right, I mean, right by the Four Seasons where presumably they were staying. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd say so. Because like the only, I only knew people going to Bayou for pickleback shots. I I never had a pickleback shot there. What? I never want one. like the <laughs> pickle. Yeah, picklebacks are they're they're not great. But I like. But the food there was actually pretty decent. Wasn't bad. Okay. So maybe I just don't know. Maybe I need to learn. I mean, um, it's not open anymore, so there, there's no learning to be done. I guess that's true. But no, those were those were good times. I I've used to this sort of a sidebar before I get to mine. But like my favorite thing about where I lived senior year, a couple friends and I, we had an off-campus apartment and it was on New Hampshire Ave where it was essentially right across the street from that four seasons, like separated by a block, but like the block itself had a pass-through like driveway. So you could just, you could see the four seasons like from our place and just walk over there real quick. And just every now and then on certain times when we knew a certain team was in town to play the Wizards, I, I like I would make an extra few runs to CVS that day because you would have to pass by the Four Seasons to go to CVS. Just hoping I would see, you know, a team bus pull up or see a certain player just straggle out. And I think I never actually met anybody 
but I do recall being pretty pumped when I saw Jason Kidd one day. So that was, those were good times, even though I never actually met any of them. Uh, (laughs) But for my, for my moment, the only real moment where I absolute, I guess there's two, there were two moments where I felt starstruck by the moment. And the first one was 2015 NBA draft in Barclays Center. Oh, wait, you went to I went that? up to I went up to cover it for Wizards Radio to try and just like get an interview with whoever our uh, first round pick was, who was Kelly Oubre Jr. I, I'm not going to talk about that experience because that that was a whole endeavor. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, wait, just, wait, 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 why are you not talking about it? Well, just like because I was with Wizards Radio. Let me tell you, I was the last person to actually talk to like Kelly Oubre that night. So like I was there for maybe four hours after he got picked to like get the two and don't feel bad for me. Cause like, think about all the crap that Kelly had to go through, like all these dudes, the car wash they have to go through after they get drafted insane. I'm sure it's fun for them because like they just got drafted into the league and their lifelong dream has been accomplished in that moment. But still, seems like a lot. Uh, But anyway, the moment that night where I found myself just completely starstruck was when a certain Chris Stapps Porzingis walked past me in the hallway. That was the tallest dude I have ever seen in person. By far. Like, not even close. Like, dudes who I have been told are 6'10 are not 6'10 if Chris Stapps Porzingis is only seven <laughs> Because that man was a giant. Giant. I remember just, like, being in the hallway and, like, seeing Tina Servasio uh, of MSG doing her interview with him. And, like, her head's up to his belt buckle. Like, it oh, was just... man. Just the tallest dude I've ever seen. And in that moment, I was like, whoa, that is, it's like, is this guy Drago playing <laughs> basketball? Like, what is this? Um, but then the real, real moment of starstruck where like, I was so starstruck that I failed myself in the moment. Two years ago, I was lucky enough to be calling the season finale for Wizards Raid video because Dave Johnson the play-by-play man had an obligation that night and it was a game between the Wizards and Celtics which before the season TNT or the NBA had expected to be meaningful so it was actually a TNT game and it was a Tuesday night so it was a players only broadcast and as I go into the media room or no not I'm actually up in the broadcast perch and all of a sudden I see Richard Hamilton like walk into broadcast position and like drop my pen just like I did just now. For everybody who knows me, they know about being a UConn Huskies basketball fan. So I remember being eight years old and staying up past my bedtime when Richard Hamilton won most outstanding player of the 1999 Final Four, defeating... Elton Brand in a Duke team that was 10 and a half point favorites that night. Oh Let's just say Rip's a bit of an idol to me. I literally did my free throw routine oh as a kid, God. the way Rip did it. Two dribbles out in front, one oh, way out so to the sorry. side, to the right, spin one time, put it up. 
buckets. So in that moment, I'm saying to myself, I gotta say hi to Richard Hamilton tonight. I I I, I gotta I gotta tell this guy he's like he's God in my eyes. <laughs> so after the game, I go down to the uh, post game show position with Glenn Consort, the color analyst, and he's talking with Thomas Bryan or somebody, like just doing an interview. So I'm off headset and I'm just standing over to the side. And I brought uh, Emma to this game. Cause like Emma wanted to see me in action. She had just sat home the first time I got to do it and just listened to this time. She wanted to come see it happening and like come to the tunnel and do all that. And so we're in the tunnel and all of a sudden I see rip like start walking down the hallway and I like start poking her and like nudging her. And I'm like, that's, that's Richard Hamilton. That's Richard Hamilton. She's like, who? I'm like, why do I care about this? She said who for real? I mean, she doesn't know who Richard Hamilton is. But if she said who, she's my hero off rip. I don't care. I, I don't, and so oh, I, you know, I, I tell her who Richard Hamilton, like legendary Yukon Husky. This is a, this is a big deal right now. <sighs> um, and she's like, well, you should just go say hi to him. And like another guy dude down there's like, yo, do you want me to like, I'm like, maybe, 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 maybe. Uh, but like before he gets to me, he starts talking to somebody else. Oh. like somebody else who presumably he actually knows and like the conversation goes on for 15 minutes and like he starts to walk away and he's walking by me and he's walking and i just couldn't say anything no! like, i can't i can't take up this guy's time any more than he just oh, had man. taken up he doesn't want to hear from me and like i just remember uh one of the guys who like helps arrange the post game interviews for the show. Like I was telling him earlier in the day, like about my Yukonness, and he's just looking at me like, why aren't you saying anything to him right now? And yeah, I, 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 I shied up. I dried it up. I didn't want to do it. Oh. Didn't want to be that guy. And I regret it because I love you, Rip. <laughs> want you to know that. You know what? I hope he's got a Twitter because I'm about to tag him and make it as annoying as possible. And as much as I want to deride your being a Yukon fan, they're back home where they're supposed to be. In the Big Happy East. Happy Big East Day, <laughs> yes, folks. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Why did y'all leave us for football of all things? Come home. I'm glad you're home. Don't blame us. Blame Syracuse. Blame Pittsburgh, blame West Virginia. We didn't have much of a choice at that point. I mean, we came around and decided that we could play football as an independent because we're, you know, we, we, we've given up on our big football dreams, which we, you know, had every right to have for a while. For but three years. we don't have them anymore. For, literally for three years. And Edsel went and embarrassed himself by leaving to go to Maryland and came back to y'all with his tail between his legs. Yeah, I said it. It's all about Northeastern reunions. Randy Edsel's back. UConn's back in the Big East. The glory days are coming again, my friend. Come They're home. Coming. Come. I'm just, listen, the Big East was not the same without UConn. I mean, do not get me wrong. Like, the, the, the polyglot that was the Big East that had West Virginia and Pitt and all that. I, to me, the only school that's missing to make the Big East the Big East again is Cincinnati. 
Because if there was any school, Syracuse, Syracuse is the one. I don't care for Syracuse, so you can leave. But they are a part of the Big East identity. But you left, so who cares? You want to go and be a big football powerhouse and go play UNC and go get your teeth kicked in by Clemson. That is your prerogative. You can go ahead. You are not missed. Cincinnati, at least Mick Cronin had tough teams, okay? I like the way Cincinnati played. Yancey Gates is still one of my top five favorite collegiate big men ever because he played like he did not care and would go through you. Okay. Syracuse has the zone. All right. You got Chris Joseph, who I only like because he's Mojo's old younger brother. Shout out to you, Mojo. Congrats on the gig at Mason, by the way. There was ever a dude that deserved it. I mean, that's a dude that does. But anyway. There's nothing good I can say about Syracuse. And I say it with all due respect. It's, it's just not my, good that it's can just be not my preference. Syracuse, but, and, and but they are a big East. You can stay in the ACC. No, you, you chose your side. You chose your side. You want to pick football, pick football, and that's okay. But the thing about it is that at least Syracuse on the football side, it sucks, but it kind of has a point. Kinda, that's, that's a football move that's a little bit justifiable. Especially since they've had league players come out of Syracuse. That's a little bit justifiable. Cincinnati, hang it up, baby. Come on home. Just come on home. It's okay. Well, Cincinnati will forever be a Conference USA team to me. So I'm not so much worried about those guys. All I can tell you is I sure as heck hope there is a college basketball season. Oh. Because I'm ready to get reacquainted with the Yukon Huskies cutting down the nets in Madison Square Garden. I mean, I want to say relax, but I really, really love Dan Hurley as a coach. I really do. Like, even it's when coming. he coached Rhode Island, the dude just has so much fire. And that, that video where he's, like, going in with his player and then just straightens up to shake hands during the handshake line, I'm like, okay, I like you. Like, I like the way he does business. Y'all are in very good hands. Very good hands. Big East fans want us back now. We been, what? I been said y'all shouldn't have left. What are you talking about? I'm saying they want us back now, but they're going to remember why they hated us in about three, four years (laughs) when it's our conference again and everybody else is playing for second place. Woo, that's big talk, buddy. It's very Big talk preceded by big facts. And that's an edition of Tell Me Something I Don't Know, brought to you by the Big East Conference's all-time leader in championships, the UConn Huskies. Why did I hate Did it to yourself. I... I'm a glutton for punishment. I can admit that. And our final segment, the award segment, will explain exactly why. We're each going to do two this week, and mine will be inspired by songs. Now that you have your warning, get comfy. Brian, lead us off. 
well, it seems like we're on the same wavelength this week because my first award also has to do with a song. Could you believe that? Oh, boy. Well, what do you have? I'm sure we all know the uh, Eminem song from 2002, I want to say. Guess who's back? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> this looks like a job for me. So everybody. Yeah, so yeah, everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting yelled at from the other room that it's called without me. And <laughs> I can't even get through a show. MVP. MVP. Without MVP, the producer MVP, in my ear. MVP. MVP. <laughs> All right. So this song without me by Eminem. That just starts with him saying, guess who's back a whole bunch at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You may know that the hook, as I was about to say, is now this looks like a job for me. So everybody just follow me because we need a little controversy because it feels so empty without me. Lord knows the NBA has felt empty without J.R. Smith. Oh, <laughs> well, luckily for us all. The Los Angeles Lakers have solved that problem for us by signing J.R. Smith for the remainder of the season and playoffs that will be taking place, hopefully, in the Orlando bubble. So that is why the Guess Who's Back award of the week goes to J.R. Smith. How does LeBron James still want to play with that man after what happened in game one of the 2018 finals? I mean, he won a chip with him in 2016. And JR can do some unreal stuff. Like, like that flip back in the finals, behind the back, that alley-oop, like that was sick. Like there's just such a level between like the worst of J.R. Smith and the best of J.R. Smith. I think at one time he was the scariest player in the league. Hold on, scariest player in the NBA. I, I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. Look, on his worst night, yeah, I get it. He can be bad. But on his best, he's athletic. He could light it up from three. He could do whatever he wanted on any given night if he was on. I mean, if you want to call him the Austin Powers international man of mystery of the NBA, I'll give you that. I can't give you scariest okay. no, man no, 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 no. Austin Powers, you're doing too much. You're doing way <laughs> too much. I'm just saying, J.R. Smith, not the scariest player in the NBA. Is he the most erratic player in the NBA? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it ain't even close, yeah. unfortunately. So my first award also has to do with returns. Um, nobody likes realignment much in collegiate athletics and with good reason. People have their customs, and a lot of times history gets severed. In this case, college football was the big bad wolf, and it went to town on a tri-state slash northeastern standard when it came to college athletics, also known as the Big East. But today, as of this taping, the prodigal son has stopped chasing quote-unquote football glory 
and has decided to come home. And I'm heaping praise despite the fact that Brian is licking his chops right now. But the Big East will welcome back the one and only University of Connecticut Huskies. Mind you, these are the same Huskies, of course, with the men's basketball program, heralded by Jim Calhoun, at least got Kevin Ollie one national championship ring. But they are literally the second string to the dominance that is the University of Connecticut's women's basketball team. They also have a very strong baseball program. Hi, George Springer. And just are all around a Northeastern staple to what it is to be in college sports. No more unnecessary trips to Florida. Playing Providence is fun again. So the Mace Welcome Back Award goes to the University of Connecticut Huskies. Thanks for coming. Back, that is. Don't leave again. We appreciate you. And we're happy to be back. We'll see how happy you are to have us. Um, but you don't really have a team in the fight. so No, I don't. You'll be good. I, I get to be a little bit more impartial. Creighton might have some words for you, though. It'll be funny to watch you fly all the way out to Omaha and uh, come back rubbing your face a little bit. Well, maybe for a year. But uh, there's something called program sustainability that uh, the Huskies have proven with their four ships. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough from me about UConn. The other college that I have love for is, of course, the George Washington University. We both attended, as you are very familiar with. We were also part of the School of Media and Public Affairs. Hmm. And one of the first things that you see when you enter the School of Media and Public Affairs is this big banner bragging about the fact that GW once hosted CNN's Crossfire, some nonsense debate show that would stick a Democrat versus a Republican. I want to say Tucker Carlson was the Republican for a long time on Crossfire and have them debate and interact in the type of discourse that leads to society being worse. Well, we had ourselves a bit of a crossfire debate in the sports media realm this past week, because as we were taping our last show a week ago Wednesday, Bomani Jones was calling into the Will Kane show to talk about the Bubba Wallace incident in NASCAR. As you might know, Will Kane was mad at NASCAR for presumptively issuing a statement that claimed that it was a hate crime that had been committed against Bubba Wallace, only for the FBI to come in and say that it wasn't a hate crime because they had evidence uh, that the hanging rope in his garage door had been there prior for months. I, I, I still have my question. That's neither here nor there. The FBI. Anyway. Uh, look, stop trusting the feds. It's a damn noose. I think we all saw it. Somehow we don't all agree on what it was. I don't get it. But 
Bomani, who has rarely ever interacted with Will Kane, who has essentially served as the Tucker Carlson of ESPN for the past four years. But since it was Will Kane's last day, he joined him for a show. And as far as debates go, may I say that Bomani Jones wiped the floor with Will Kane's over quaffed head. <laughs> Wiped him up with it. But I do think it was a very valuable conversation for people to hear. Because it shows two people from different perspectives. And how one perspective just wasn't really holding up to the scrutiny of the other. And so for that, the Crossfire MVP Award of the Week goes to Bomani Jones for showing up on Will Kane's show on Will Kane's last day at ESPN and making him walk off with his tail between his legs. This totally makes up for me espousing so much praise on UConn. I'm a huge Bo fan, so that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Did you did you hear the debate? I did. And, um, you know, that's the power of rhetoric. When you can make somebody look very, very ill-prepared without being malvolent. Look, malvolence has its place. Anger has its place. But it's almost like Bomani kept toying with him a little bit and still drove his point home. It got him a spot on CNN, no less. So that makes me very, very, very happy. And it was a conversation that needed to be had. That's what professional talkers do, baby. That that was elite. That was elite behavior. But since we're talking about elite, let's talk softball. Because oh, okay. well, the reason why I say that is because I've had the pleasure of covering that sport for a little under six, seven years. Um, I've been really following the sport since high school. Um, I watched Monica Abbott drag Tennessee to the Women's College World Series final, final before eventually faltering to Arizona. Who Arizona damn near ran the odds, but whole nother story entirely. So a story came out. It was edited today. But Back on June the 22nd, a professional softball team formerly known as Scrapyard Fast Pitch, there was a tweet that they sent out, and it was sent by the GM at the time, saying, hey, at real Donald Trump, pro fast pitch being played live at USSSA Space Coast, at USSSA Pride, everyone respecting the flag, and everybody went ape. Because it really is the first time that team front office management actually catered to the administration and thoughts about the flag. The pinned tweet that I'm reading right now comes from Haley McClenney, also a member of the U.S. national women's team, who will be going to Tokyo, it seems, with the Olympic team, which is awesome. 
um, she tweeted, we might be standing in this photo, but we sure as hell aren't standing for this. I'm embarrassed. I'm heartbroken. I'm disgusted. At Scrapyard FP, I will never be org- I will never be associated with your organization again. Black Lives Matter. The tone deafness on this is unbelievable. Mind you that this team also has two Olympic stars, including Kat Osterman and the aforementioned Monica Abbott. So after their original game, this was a week, more or less. Kiki Stokes, the only black player that was in the lineup that night, she led that walk-off, obviously accentuated by Haley McClenney and caught outrage all over the softball media world. They rebranded the team, are playing nearby as This Is Us, and have continued to soldier on, recently getting, in fact, as recently as yesterday, a sponsor has picked up the bills so that the team can operate as is. Still end up playing the USSA Pride. But nevertheless, what those ladies did is really courageous. We talked about it last week, how female athletes with a lot more to lose still manage to do whatever it is that they need to do to get the job done. And they risked a lot. But with that sponsor picking up the bill, now they can play the game that they're elite at, sport that they love, and finally take something home. So, the Twisted Sister We Are Not Gonna Take It Award goes to the newly rebranded This Is Us team. Bravo, ladies. Bravo. Round of applause indeed to them. I have to say, as I read this story, I felt like I had so many questions. Because, like, I'm not well-versed in softball. So just like the the one question that came to my mind is like, how is it even possible that like you could just totally disassociate from your franchise and keep the team together as just a new team? Like, I don't know how the sponsorship works, what the contracts are in that sport. I, I was just like that. Cool. That seems wild. <laughs> I have no idea how that's conceivable. Like, I wish like, I knew. You know, the rumors that came out that like Kyrie had mentioned players forming their own league, like that's almost like what it feels like this softball team did. Like, right. But what if the what if the Brooklyn Nets were just like, yeah, you know what? We're done with this. Uh, we're all going to play now as the Des Moines Demons. Like, how would you pull that off? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that that's a so it's just like, how could the league I have no idea what the what's going on in softball. This is like possible. I think it's cool that it's possible. Don't get me wrong. I'm just like I was shocked by everything I was reading. I mean, I I I I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not sure about the actual, you know, details to that either. But I will say that I don't care cuz that's just so cool to me. The fact that they were able to even pull that off is just, it's just different. And I'm, this is I'm just a, how my 
idiotic brain works. You have to just, you know, you have to let it just play out in real time sometimes. <laughs> I wouldn't call it idiotic. I mean, they're questions, but I'm, I'm no. as much as details are important to me, at the end of the day, if you got the job done and you still get to do it, I don't care how it happened. You made a statement and it worked for you. That's a rarity. So I'm glad it did for them. You know, it's crazy kudos to them and hopefully it's more more money, hopefully, for them if this sponsor's gonna ante up. Um but the other question that comes out of it is just like how do certain people believe that they get to make statements that involve their politics and involve their opinions when the expectation is that others namely players will not like because first off like who the hell this general manager is and what the extent of that person's position is i'm still confused about considering all the things about the infrastructure of the softball league that i'm now super confused about um <laughs> but like like what are you the general manager of if the team just gets up and leaves the next day just continues as its new own organization like, that's I'm still stuck on that detail, but like <laughs> a lot of questions for the league that I have. Uh, <laughs> but outside of the sports side, it's just like, come on, like the double standard that exists is absurd. Like when somebody wants the fact that this person is probably upset about the idea of athletes making political statements during the national anthem, but then feels empowered enough because they were standing to tweet at the president and essentially make a political statement about the national anthem is just like, what dumbass double standard hypocritical world do you live in? And like, can you just own up to what you are as opposed to hiding behind some debate that's non-existent. Like I, I found myself going into the stupid Twitter weeds today. Oh boy. Cause it's just, I'm, I'm just sick of it. It's annoying. See, and so of course it was all started by Dan Dockage. I really just need to unfollow Dan Dockage. Cause he just pisses I me off we, so much. I thought we were over this. I thought we talked about this on this show, no less. I have a problem. <laughs> I think we talked about it off air is the big problem. I think we were off air with Shakia when we talked about it. Aha. Okay. But like he tweeted, Dockage tweeted today, social issues on back of NBA players jerseys could be very, very interesting. He didn't actually tweet anything inflammatory. He sort of dog whistled it a bit, but he didn't like actually do anything inflammatory. But then I went into some of the comments. And I was just like, enough. I'm just done with I it. I want to see what, before you give the benediction, let me see what you said, because now I'm super intrigued. Like y'all got to understand that Brian tweeting is like watching a comment, like just a It's habit. rare. It does not happen need to really piss me off to get me to tweet you have made it successfully through another edition of the award tour podcast you can always of course find us 
wherever you get your podcasts. You can review us. You can review us however you feel we deserve. If we only deserve three stars in your opinion, I don't like you, but I want to hear it. I do not. Five stars only. (laughs) Only. I want honest opinions. But just hit five stars. On the serious note, enjoy your holiday, but I think it's fair to say we all can do a little reflecting on what America means to us at this time and what we would like America to be going forward so that we can more proudly celebrate our day of independence. And on the lighter note, as we say goodbye to you, remember, UConn's back in the Big East. So long, folks. Bye,